Welcome to Unstuck AF, a podcast here to help you do you better. There's a path that starts where you are, passes through who you are, and leads where you want to go. We're here to hear from people who've walked that path or who are walking it right now. This is Orlando Bishop, Coach Orlando, and I thank you for listening as we learn how to get unstuck, how to be unstuck, how to live unstuck. Unstuck as fuck. Welcome to Unstuck AF. I'm glad to have you here today. It's a great episode. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm speaking to Cam Caton, who I have been friends with for, uh, you know, just a couple of decades now. Definitely wanted to have this conversation. We'll dig into the particulars of why, but definitely one of the most dynamic people I've met, uh, intelligent, knowledgeable, and just has a real sense of the world and justice and how we can all be uh, living and working and doing better. So I just wanted to have that kind of conversation today as we often do as we uh, send those send those texts, hey, you free for a chat? And uh, an hour and a half later, we wrap it up. So advocate, storyteller, parent, friend, Cam, welcome to Unstuck AF. Thank you, my friend. Absolutely. So I'm going to start you off. I know you've listened a couple of times, so this will come as no shock to you. But I want to start you off with a question, and that is, how and or when did it become clear to you that seeing and being seen would be such a major part of your life? Yeah. Um, so as a toddler, really, hmm. um, my mom was actually a very good amateur photographer. I mean, all parents take pictures of their kids, but my mom was really someone who, you know, like framed the photo. They weren't snapshots, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. framing the photo and paying attention to the light. And, and so that I knew that my mom wasn't just looking at me, but planning a presentation of me. Hmm. Um, And it got, kind of even more I guess I'll use the word intense when um I think I was really yeah like about three and she took me to have a portrait a photographic portrait taken in the city and to me and you we know that means New York (laughs) and so I think the guy was a fairly well-known um photographer and the studio was in a fancy department store downtown so i'm a performer now i was a performer then i got excited uh and i the little suitcase okay because i had an idea about what i thought i should wear Mm -hmm. so i packed like my chaps and i had this like fringe vest that like matched the chaps (laughs) and i had these deerskin beaded moccasins and a beaded belt Mm. uh, that i got when we went to Florida one year and we went to the Everglades and probably went to some reservation that I didn't know was a reservation at the time. Right, and I, right. we can bracket whiteness for a minute because we'll definitely talk about it later. <laughs> so, you know, I had this idea of, you know, that I was gonna dress up for my portrait. Mm. It's also true at that time that I was 
calling myself Tombo the Indian boy. Mm. Um, again, we can talk about whiteness. Um, right, and right, I'll right. offer up an early apology for being someone who at three did not know better. Um, right. But that's the context, right? So mm. I put that stuff in this little, it's like a cloth, little cloth zipper suitcase, like okay. bright, like bright yellow and fuchsia flowers on it. And then my mom, right, mm. has some ideas of her own about okay. what's gonna go in the suitcase, right? How she's gonna plan this presentation. Right. And so how it goes down is we go and the photographer lets me, you know, put on various outfits mm. and takes pictures. And, uh, and then my mom makes me put on a ballet leotard and tights. And mm. in my parents' house, in right. their living room, on the wall next to the fireplace, there is a very large portrait. I would say it's probably like, I don't know, two feet by two and a half feet, something like that. Oh, and it's, okay. like a, it's like a like fancy gilt frame. Okay. And it is a picture of me with this like strawberry blonde, shoulder length kind of flowy hair hmm. in a ballet leotard Ooh. with my hands, you know, cause kind of crossed at the wrists on, on the back of a chair. And to me, the thing that is most incredible about hmm. all of it is I am not smiling hmm. in that photograph. Hmm. But if you look at the proofs, Mm-hmm. From the session. Right. And you look at other photos of me, mm. for example, of me with I've got like some headband on with the moccasins and right. I'm holding like some like wooden carved like fake knife and and I'm smiling. They smile. And so the choice then of a photograph to represent who I am mm. to the world that she's proud enough to hang on the wall right. is not a picture of the child smiling, mm -hmm. right? It's a sort of, it's not an angry look or a sad look particularly, but I would say it's blank. Hmm. What I knew then, mm -hmm. and which I continued to learn over and over again, was that there was a me she wanted to see. Hmm. And there was a me she wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. And I came to believe that being myself hmm. um, was not acceptable to my mom. Now, the way you describe that, I get the sense that you're a storyteller, so you're good at identifying these moments that capture what you're, you know, communicating. Um, but I get the sense that that wouldn't be the only example that allowed you to come to that kind of conclusion, that there was a version of you that your mother was choosing to see. Is that accurate or am I projecting oh, yeah, that no, onto the story? For sure. Or? No, mm -hmm. for sure. There was another time, you know, she, she put me in ballet when I was, I think about two and a half or, or three. Mm. And then I, I, danced um, in ballet until I was, I think, 11 when I finally put my foot down and said, mm. no more. 
Um, but I was uh, super into baseball and um, Yankees, just for those of you who need to know. Because you're and, a good human being, that's why. You know, Brooklyn, <laughs> planet, damn it. Anyway, so um, I uh, have a, this, you know, very vivid memory of like, you know, some, I don't know, some cousin is getting christened or something, right? Mm. And there's going to be, a, you got to go to the church and there's going to be a party afterwards and whatever. And she's making me put on this dress and I'm having a fit because what I know is, is that afterwards at the party, right. people are going to play baseball. Mm. I can't play baseball in, in a stupid dress. And so we're having some disagreement I don't, mm -hmm. I, again, mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty small. Maybe I'm four. I don't even think I was five, Okay. but around there and we're in my bedroom and there was a rocking chair, um, like a white wicker rocking chair. And I put my, I kicked it. I kicked my foot through the back of the a back, through the back of the chair. All right. Cause I was like, I do not want to wear it. So, I mean, it's stuff like that. I mean, yeah. I could go, I could give you sure, sure, sure. examples ad infinitum. You know, there, there was, a highly gendered box. Now, were you, as you were dealing with that box, right? That gendered box, were you being told about the box explicitly or was this just an experience you were having where you took pictures as Tombo, but somehow the ballet picture ended up up there. You wanted to play baseball, but somehow you were going to end up in a dress that day. Was it a somewhat silent or unspoken battle around some of this? No, or? I think the thing, the thing, the thing for me that's always that felt hard about it, especially as I became older, mm -hmm. was in in the culture in which I grew up, mm -hmm. tomboys were permitted mm. up to a point, right? Like you could be a girl who like came home from school and ran around outside with the boys. Okay. And that was okay. As long as everybody understood, right? Mm. That you were a girl really mm. who was a tomboy who kind of liked these activities. Right. But at right? the end of the day, but there, yeah. at the end of the day, there's really no question, right? Mm -hmm. Like of, of what your gender is. And, and the other piece for me was that was confusing or complicated was, you know, my old brother and I are 14 months apart and mm -hmm. you know, we were like best friends, you know, for most of our childhood, we did everything together and we did everything the same. Mm. And we had, we had many, like, I'm not, we had many same outfits when we went to go for new school clothes, like we went to the shoe store and got the same pair of sneakers. Okay. You know? okay. Or we got, you know, from Sears, blue corduroy tough skins. Like, I mean, there are pictures of us wearing matching outfits. Okay. Right. So for a kid, especially, mm. I think the confusion comes from like, well, if that's okay. Then later when everyone's like, no, none of this is okay. This is completely wrong and you're wrong and everything's right. wrong. It's like, wait, what happened? I don't understand. I didn't, like you bought that I shit, right? I didn't change. Wasn't right. that you? Like, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it, it was the way in which those things coexisted. It was the way in which my mom hmm. had certain expectations about what I would wear to Sunday school while simultaneously allowing me to have the, the same sneakers and you know sure. the same navy blue winter coat with the fluorescent orange 
stripes on the shoulders. Mm. For me, I think what it really emphasized was that there was a something that was tolerable internally versus okay. what could be presented yes. in the world. Okay. I wanted to go in this direction. So it seems to me that there, it felt to me as you were describing it as though there might be a, what will the neighbors say component to the conversation? So yeah, I guess I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about that because the the portrait in the living room is that, right? It's like, okay, it's one thing that you ran around here and played, that's great. Not Maybe not so great, but all right, we can deal with it. But we're certainly not gonna put a portrait of you dressed that way up forever and ever. How did you experience that distinction? And when did you really see it? Was it as a teenager when, you know, when other differences came up or yeah, when did, when did that really start to, you know, play out for you that there was something going on there? I think when, as I, as I became older and older and um, even though I, I, I want to say that I tried really hard Mm-hmm. to please my mom. Mm. I tried really hard to please my mom and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, wear skirts and dresses and learn to put on makeup and, and because it mattered to me that to make her happy. And I, that stuff clearly really mattered to her a lot. And it's also true that as I got older, it became more and more painful okay. for me emotionally mm-hmm. and psychologically to do that. And, you know, certainly I'm going to say like 13, 14, 15 mm-hmm. is when, you know, I'm, I become most aware that, first of all, I'm quite depressed mm. and I, am isolated and turning inward um, and, you know, just have an increasing awareness of how that what I'm doing is performing an identity for her. And I guess, I mean, any 13, 14, 15 year old is frankly wading through a ton of shit, right? I mean, we just like, that's just what it is to be that age. Mm -hmm. What was your experience of it at the time? Like when you realize, like, I'm not feeling good about this. I'm fighting against it. Were you clear about what the it was? Or was it just like, I'm unhappy and I'm not quite clear. Like, you know what I mean? That there was a source to it. Sure. Well, first of all, my my body all of a sudden freaking betrayed me and Mm. now like i'm you know developing breasts and because you know why would it be as simple as like i couldn't even just have like small ones right like i have to be like extraordinarily well endowed um quickly and that was really the beginning of feeling like there was this huge mind body like Mm. split i felt very i don't know how else to say it but sort of like divorced from myself you know that's when i started doing a lot of things to try and i i would now retrospectively call it dissociate or Hmm. like otherwise check out i try you know to 
hide my body as much as possible. I, you know, I start smoking tons of weed because mm -hmm. it like creates this kind of buffer between me and everything else. You know, I, I don't say that I was anorexic because I, I had a, a kind of consciousness and I, I felt like a control over my choices that feel different than what people mean when they say anorexia, but I did for a substantial period of time eat as little as possible in an effort to try and sort of make myself smaller. Mm. In my mind, I had a whole very elaborate storytelling life in mm -hmm. which I was, you know, a boy protagonist. I sort of modeled myself on, I, I, I my, my dad watched a lot of masterpiece theater, which should tell you many things. Um, <laughs> and um, I really liked the, the character Sebastian Flight from Brideshead Revisited, who was mm. uh, gay and kind of a dissolute fuck up. And there was something about that character that I related to. Um, yeah. And so I just kind of had, you know, I, I, I went about my business doing what I was supposed to do. I mean, I went to school, I did, a, mm -hmm. you know, I did fine. I came home, I did my homework. And then the rest of the time I just was in my head, you know, leading this alternative life for myself. It, it, it took me many years to find ways of, of turning that into reality. So I'd like to ask about that other part of self. And we've been friends long enough that I feel like we can have this conversation, um, but it's still a little uncomfortable because when I was 13, 14, 15, and I was undergoing changes, they were welcome changes. I looked forward to shaving like my dad shaved. And when you say that your body betrayed you, I, I don't brush past that. When you say you move forward with it, it's sort of, again, easy to say like, and then I moved on and I got over that, but I'm guessing there was a lot to it. I mean, how do you navigate that relationship with a body that is like not lined up with right. that protagonist in your head? One, one thing that is true about um, that time, right? Mm -hmm. So like now, you know, you can Google non-binary or agender and get right. 700 you know vlogs from young people mm -hmm. you know talking about their identities and their journeys and whatever but you know when i was a kid when you mm -hmm. were a kid mm -hmm. we didn't even have the fucking internet people <laughs> okay? right never mind sorry what to was be so, on the sorry to be so right. old but like you know <laughs> and so right. i i mean I didn't even know any people who identified as being gay. Mm. I mean, it wasn't until college um, that I met, you know, queers. Mm. Um, and then that was amazing because it opened up this whole world of, oh, um, possibilities. Like the fact that I, you know, my desire is for girls is like, mm. oh, there's an explanation for that. There's a way of making sense out of that. Mm. Um, and so great. Like that's, that must be, that must be me. Right. Got because it. it was available. It was what I knew. Mm. And because, uh, you know, there were, you know, even within the, the queer community then as now, you know, all kinds of internalized ways of, 
recasting, right? Same old shit. Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, then there was, well, I could, you know, I could sort of fit within certain categories of lesbian, right? Mm. Like, oh, so I was like a butch lesbian. And I, I can remember having conversations with people like, not, not because I had a problem with being masculine identified in any way, but because it sort of baffled me that there was such an insistence on like, but you still, even now still, you must be like in these categories, you fit right? into something, yes. Um, but that was certainly the most comfortable mm-hmm. right, for me, but it didn't change the fundamental fact that I still felt trapped and miserable uh, in my physical being. But at least I felt sort of like I'd found a tribe of sorts Mm -hmm. and I had some way of explaining myself to myself, which I hadn't had, you know, before that. So that was a big deal at the time to, you know, to, to feel like, okay, there was some, some way of belonging um, Mm -hmm. to something. Um, Yeah. Even though I still didn't really feel much like I belonged to myself. Okay. I'm glad you took us right there because you talked about, we started this talking about being seen and that's kind of been like, as we talked, once we were preparing for this conversation. Um, So you found your tribe or what felt like your tribe and after, you know, years and years up to college of feeling not seen or not allowed, right? In some ways, just being sort of denied. There was this, now this tribe that was saying, oh yeah, we're, we're different in some ways too. Welcome to the open-minded people. Here's your box. Um, so how did you, yeah, what was your sense then? Did you feel seen and then sort of progress into feeling like, this might not be all of it? Or was it immediately like, this is better than nothing. I still don't think this is the whole answer. Or what, what? What were they seeing? What did you feel they were seeing? What did you want them to see? What was the experience then? Yeah, it made me. You just. I don't know. Something about the way you were saying that made me think of this particular story. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been kind of a contrarian in a certain way, and I have a habit of if people tell me to do or be X, then I kind of don't really want to do that. Even in college, I was still doing things like, you know, shaving my head, but wearing some vintage dress with combat boots. And I remember there was this grad student who said to me, you know, that is so not you that it's you. Hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, who says that? And like, who, who, who thinks that they can say that to somebody? Right. Um, But what I can say is I had, I had this kind of shuttling back and forth between just, you know, a a chest binding, fedora wearing, Hmm. self-presentation from one sort of from that extreme to the, you know, dresses and combat boots for many years and Mm -hmm. i i wonder sometimes what what was the thing but i can i can almost date like i could tell Mm. you practically like year and month when it became intolerable to even play like that Mm. 
right? There was something like sort of a perversely ha ha about you can't put me in the box yeah with that and then there came a moment where i couldn't even play like that right it became too for me uncomfortable mm. and i i really can't tell you why i can only tell you that i know that it happened and that i just was like i can not ever like put a dress on my body like ever again so i mean i get that you're saying you're not clear on why that moment but i am curious to learn a little bit more about the experience itself i mean you'd been living this way you'd been making choices from the time your mother was forcing you into the dress and you wanted to make sure you were dressed appropriately for baseball to you're walking around a campus with the dress and the boots and the shaved head and sort of still figuring out what the presentation looks like. What was it like to come to a moment where you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done with the dresses. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, my kid will say to me things like, why don't you, why don't you try having long hair? Or, mm. you know, one time she was, you know, she likes to sometimes like design clothes and, and you know, she had a bunch of fabric samples that she had like pinned together and she wanted mm. me to like put it on, you know, it's sort of like a mm. dress. And, um, and of course I indulged her cause she's my kid. But um, mm -hmm. when, when I said, something to the effect of doing this basically because I love you and you should know how much I love you that I'm letting you do this. Right. Mm. That was hard for her to understand. And I just said, when I look at myself right. in the mirror, I don't see myself mm. if I'm wearing a dress or if I have very much hair, mm -hmm. like I don't recognize myself as myself. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's the best explanation I have for it yeah. is that it is dissonant it, it, and it, it, it is not. That's why the notion that somehow people make choices about gender identity or mm -hmm. sexual orientation or whatever is like so crazy to me because mm. it's like, first of all, who would choose to right. struggle? Like I, right. I don't, I don't know, but also it's like, I, I'm just so clear. Like it's in my, it's in my brain. Mm -hmm. I can't see myself. I could look in the mirror and that I could intellectually tell you that that person wearing that or with that hair or whatever is me, sure. but it isn't me. And mm -hmm. so the, there was something about that particular period of time after I graduated from college and I was in graduate school that um, I just, I reached some moment where the dissonance was, it was too much. Got it. You know, when you talked about the body betrayal, was it an extension of that dissonance or is it a separate thing? Because these are choices I'm making and I could be making different choices. Well, that's really a good question. I think it was the only thing I had control over because at least mm -hmm. at that time, I did not think that altering my body was a choice that I had, okay. right? Right. So best I could do for sure. Got it, got it. Yeah. And at some point mm -hmm. I, I wanna, I do wanna come back to the, to the subject matter of, of whiteness because I, 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 think it, I think it does matter to this whole business for me anyway. 
we can go there. Yeah. What's your sense of how it does play into this experience for you? And maybe also in terms of how you are seen. So my mother's family is from the Middle East. Mm. They, I mean, they have privilege on many levels. They're light skinned, they're light eyed, they're you know Christians mm. and it's possible. And it was, possible for the vast majority of people from my mother's family, you know, to be uh, perceived uh, as white. Legally, the only reason they were able to enter the country when they did was because that was a period of time when people from that region were mm-hmm. legally considered white. And that hasn't always been true in the right. law. But, um, but, you know, there are certain physical features that people can't escape. And my mother looks like an Arab. Hmm. Like she's just, her profile is unmistakable, Hmm. which she hated her whole life. Hmm. Um, She just, you know, hates her, what she thinks of as her, you know, big ugly nose and her choices about self-presentation and what kind of clothes. And I mean, all of it, is mm-hmm. so much about like assimilation mm. and like basically Ralph Lauren is the answer, right? Which in itself is a hilarious <laughs> irony, right? Because Ralph Lipschitz, of course, right. is a, the Jewish son right. of an immigrant tailor who mm-hmm. then like makes a multi-billion dollar empire out of assimilation by selling whiteness to white people. I mean, it's just, it's like mind blowing. It's like really amazing (laughs) and and incredible. I think no small part of my mother's need for me to present in a certain way is Mm. not to fuck that up. Right. I did all this assimilating work. Here you come, Tombo. Get out of here. Right, 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 right. right. So, so there's, so there's that, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there's that piece. And then, you know, there's also the, business of belonging. So my, you know, I grew up in this enormous family, you know, like with, you know, 35 people like squished into, you know, a small apartment, you know, by the Verrazano, like on Sundays for dinner or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And that was important to me Mm. that I belong there. I'd be part of that. Mm -hmm. And people like me were not part of that world. So, you know, I wanted to belong to my family. I wanted to belong to my mother. Like all of those things seem like you can't, you know, be you and belong to that. And I just am aware of the way in which that desire for immigrants to fit in and be good Americans and blah, Mm. blah, looks a certain way. And I I just know that the way in which staying and being white Mm -hmm. was connected to my gender identity, um, even if it was never articulated in that way. As such. As such. Now, so much about what we're talking about, race, gender, sexual orientation. A lot of this is around how we're seen, who's seen how we think we can, you know, all, all those things like who's who's the same who's different who fits in who's you know gets to enter the country who doesn't it seemed that you made a choice at a certain point to embrace people 
in some ways, including me, who are seen as different or who is, who are, yeah, as is probably as well as I'm going to articulate that, but who are seen as different. And I, I guess I'm curious about where in your journey you went from, or, or maybe they happened together, but that you went from, I'm by the Verrazano, this is my family. I get that I'm different, but I got to make this work to, I'm going to be somebody who embraces, looks out for, advocates for those who also don't quite fit into the portrait above the, uh, or the portrait in the living room. Yeah, I think I knew I was an outsider and other outers um, were my people mm-hmm. <laughs> on some level. It's funny, both of my both of my brothers. So when I was growing up, and no, nobody really spoke very much Arabic, same kinds of reasons, right? But a little bit. As kids, we always called our, you know, our grandparents by their respective titles in Arabic. Okay. And then I don't know why, but like all of a sudden one day, both of my brothers, I don't know, probably so my older brother is probably like, I don't know, 12. It makes my little brother like eight, maybe. Mm. They start calling them grandma and grandpa. <laughs> You're like, what? Right? Who's that? Like, That's so weird. Right. That's right. so weird. And I, what I have seen from them, both of them, as they get older and grow more, I see them, I, not consciously, I do not think. I think unconsciously, mm-hmm. but nevertheless. Mm-hmm. distancing themselves mm. more and more from anything that would make it seem like they had this Arab immigrant mm. background. And I think it's cause they're get to be white guys. Yep. Right. And that was never going to be true for me. Right. Right. That's never gonna be true for me. I gotta say um, being a white guy does seem kind of fun. Like just observing it all <laughs> these years, it seems like a pretty decent deal. I'm just putting that on the table. I think it's complicated. I think it's complicated. I think I think power certainly power accrues. Right, right. That right. I, there's maybe something else about life satisfaction. So I don't know. I just I just was I've always been drawn to people who are um you know see the world as a place that has people who are excluded mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sought out and felt drawn to people who didn't fit in the dominant yeah. paradigm. And I'm lucky <laughs> hmm. to have been welcomed uh, by a broad array of people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I had some really amazing uh, friends and mentors um, who taught me how uh, to see things that I uh, had been protected from seeing uh, by the boxes um, that I had been living in. Why, why you might want to uh, put a little uh, caveat on your tombow story. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, listen. As a kid, I watched the uh, Dukes of Hazard. Life's, life's complicated. At any rate, we get introduced to these ideas. So you move forward and you become a parent. Right. And from our conversations, I know that in your role as a parent, you've 
you've encountered another space and place where you're wanting to advocate for someone who's different. Right. And so I'm going to leave and it in, right and, there. And, and, in, and, invisibly, there. and invisibly different. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, another place where we can talk about how whiteness both has power attached to it and can also obscure. Mm. When my when my daughter was born, you know, I was hell bent on gender neutral every fucking thing. Right. 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 Like I am not recreating that mess. <laughs> right. right. So don't give me pink nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. Then what I refuse to do is replicate my experience, which is I'm not going to make my kid force my kid to be gender neutral because that's what I value, what matters to me and how I may identify, right? Right, So I have to embrace my kid for who she is. Then it just turns out that I have like the most cisgendered female child like possible. (laughs) So I, you know, merrily buy every pink lavender, you know, whatever and, you know, I've learned how to braid hair, um, maybe not as well as many, but you know, <laughs> I, I it's passable. Right, right, um, right. And um, and celebrate her, you know, for 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 that because it that matters to her, right? right. She want you know, poor kid. I don't know, you know, some kids' hair grows fast, some kids doesn't. Like, my kid was, like, had almost no, like, so little hair. Mm. Like, I mean, even by the time she was four, I mean, it was like she just didn't have very much hair. And it took a really long time for her to get long hair. And uh. it was just, you know, a, such a bummer for her. Yeah. You know, so, like, you know, my kid has had, like, you know, a trim <laughs> a, couple, a couple times. But, you know, basically she's never had a haircut because... Right, right. She really wants, you know, right, long hair. Right. And right. she's got a very um, particular skin tone, hair color, eye color combo hmm. that, you know, you might see in a Dick and Jane book. Hmm. Got right? it. Got it. So there is a way that she can be viewed through a particular lens. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that she has some real challenges neurodevelopmentally. And because she looks the way she looks, Mm. I think, and is female, Mm. right? And doesn't present like some boys do um, at school, right? Who are disruptive in class or Right. right, getting in trouble or mouthing off or whatever. And if she was a child of color, Right. would get a certain kind of scrutiny mm. that she's not subject to. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. And so I feel like what I am doing frequently is fighting to get other adults, professionals, teachers, etc., to see mm. that she is struggling. Right. Because it doesn't look like what they're looking for. And she isn't the person that they're looking at. Right. For that. So yeah. there's a, a little boy who's been in her school since TK, just like her. Mm-hmm. I know the parents well. And I know how quickly that little boy was mm-hmm. identified, pointed out, tested, mm-hmm. et cetera. Right? Because he's like one of the only 
dark-skinned children in the mm. school. Now, pros and cons, like I think, mm -hmm. right? About getting help or not getting help or whatever, but it's clear that how it happens has right. to do with who's looking, how they're looking and why. There could be something wrong with him. We, we, right. we yeah, yeah. A and, and it's a problem. Mm. Also that, right, 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 right. right? Mm -hmm. So not just that there are differences, we all have differences, right? But there are people who are included and people who are excluded. Right. And so I have come to have this feeling of like, oh, I think, you know, my kid has come to me because hmm. I am someone who can speak to that right. feeling of not being seen mm. um, and having feelings of difference be invisible. Um, and it's not about wanting to uh, say that there's a problem here that needs to be fixed. Now, I don't need to be fixed. I don't think she mm -hmm. needs to be fixed, but there's a recognition, acknowledgement. Right acceptance right. right there's probably not going to be understanding mm. I've, I've talked to other people about this you know, I, had, I had a guy call me once that i know professionally mm -hmm. he's like oh, you know oh my god i don't know what to do you know my my family's freaking out you know one of my nieces or nephews is you know identifying as as trans and mm. you know everybody's upset and you know mm. can you help me understand mm. And I said, you have the completely wrong approach here because we're not interested in your understanding. Mm. I'm only interested in your acceptance mm. because you cannot understand because you don't have that experience. Right, right. And so you're not going to get in someone else's brain or in someone else's body mm. and say, oh, now I understand. So like, let, could you just let go of that? What if you just let go of the notion that what matters here is understanding? Whether, I, whether or not I understand what your experience right? is, right, right, right. And right, right. instead say, hey, we love this person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this person needs acceptance. And so when thinking about your child, when people at school or otherwise look at her and conclude, I was gonna say conclude, but in some ways there's not a concluding because if I'm not seeing, there's nothing to conclude about, right? Or when they when they look at her, but don't see her, then the acceptance isn't happening, right? Like the reality of who's in front of them is just not being absorbed or what, it, what would it look like for that right. to be going on? I mean, she has an incredible degree of self-awareness. And so we've had some conversations, right? Where she's, you know, said to me things like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be like this. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have, you know, challenges that I, you know, that I have. And, or if, if we try to problem solve something and I, you know, make a certain suggestion that might bring a challenge into the foreground that would make it visible. And she mm. says, yeah, but then everyone will know that I'm not regular. Mm. And again, it goes to this notion of like, like what her experience is. She knows that as a child that looks a particular way, right. she can pass. 
Mm. as a regular person yeah. and what does that mean that my child has that language about right. herself i'm thinking to myself shit i must be a fucked up parent that i <laughs> haven't done right. a good enough right. job educating her about race and racism that that's how she can perceive things right mm. so that that whole framework right, right of just like it, it just it's this it's just the same old shit. It's just the same mm. old shit, you know, um, and manifesting itself um, in different in different ways. And so, trying to find some way to say that we're here and we exist, right? And we have value, mm. and we want to belong. Yeah. And then the question is, to what? <laughs> and okay. so, of course, and so, of course. I've spent an awful lot of my life saying, well, not that. Mm. Fuck y'all. I don't want anything to do with all that. Okay. Right, over there. Because mm -hmm. that is, right? That whole system, that whole thing is all about exclusion and power. And so never mind. I'll, I will just, I turn my back on that mm. and I'll be, you know, I focus, you know, over here. And now, in, on some level, because of my kid, I feel like I have to engage all of that again hmm. in, a, in a different way, because I also have to help her not feel bad and excluded. And, and I'm sure you and other friends of mine who have children of color could give me hmm. some good 411 on you know, <laughs> how to talk to your kids about the fact mm -hmm. that, like, yeah, that's right. You're it different. isn't for you, right? Yeah. It isn't set up for you. I do distinctly remember... My son, Alex, who maybe kindergarten, maybe first grade, whatever it was, um, had had some incident at school and it hit another kid. Was always a really friendly kid, always a good kid. This was a total aberration, but it had happened and I was aware of it. And I remember telling him directly at five or six years old, let me explain something to you, okay? When you hit other kids, you are violent. When, and I use the name of one of his white friends, hits somebody, he's rambunctious. Keep your hands to yourself. It will not play out the same way for you. He was like five or six, you know? And so, yeah, I think there is that awareness that it's, it's not gonna play out the same way for you. I guess, how are you at this point navigating your daughter's desire to be regular, honoring that, right? And trying to bring some of what I, what I just described into it, trying to balance, I get that you wanna be regular. There are these things about you that are different and I can't just ignore those. I can't just put you in a ballerina outfit and have you cross your hands and give me a blank stare like we got right. like that can't right. be the, right. the solution well it's funny right because i use my own i often i try and use my own experience and say regular what's regular like mm -hmm. i have never been regular a day in my life i have not been regular as i told her recently i said you know regular is really overrated and she's so smart she said to me she said you know why regular is overrated mm. because most people are regular <laughs> just Solid point. <laughs> um, I was like, okay. Right. The critical thing that's happening for me is the parallel process 
between mm. me really finally taking care of myself mm. and deciding to have top surgery mm. and being willing to talk openly about this yeah. and simultaneously trying to help her navigate her differences, mm-hmm. get support that I think that she needs. But I absolutely hear what you're saying, you know, and hear what she's saying. She's saying to me, so one of the things that we have talked about and that we need to keep talking about is, is like some people can't hide. And so this notion of regular is something that is a problem. Right, right. Um, now, you mentioned top surgery. We've talked, mm-hmm. about, you and I have had conversations mm-hmm. around this before. I am guessing that someone could be listening and not quite know what, know that, what that means. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just asking yeah. you to share that. That's cool. So I identify as non-binary, meaning mm-hmm. I don't feel like a man and I don't feel like a woman, or maybe I feel like both. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't identify as a man. I don't want to be a man, um, but I don't feel like a woman either. Although I often say that I'm female identified and I Hmm. use she and they because in terms of my whole lived experience in the body that I'm in and how I've experienced gender in the world and power and feminism and et cetera, Hmm. I would still be prefer to be belong among hmm. those who are female identified Got it. Um, as long as they keep being willing to have me which most people seem to hmm. and so uh having breasts are the thing that make me most dysphoric like i just can't deal and something about the pandemic and maybe having to be at home constantly all the time with myself mm. um, and also the way in which that amplified my kids challenges. I don't know, just something broke. And I was just like, okay, I guess can't, I can't anymore. Like mm. I've wanted to do this my entire life is get rid of my breast literally since right. they arrived, I've wanted them gone. Right. And so I just, I can't, I function. It, it's like, it, it's become intolerable. And so uh, top surgery can mean different things to different people. Mm. People who identify as trans men who are transitioning all the way from female to male and want Mm -hmm. to be identified as a man and live in the world as a man may have this kind of surgery to remove their breasts and give them a chest that looks like a male chest. Mm. And there are lots of people who identify as non-binary or agender who want to have a chest that looks neutral, that looks like a prepubescent kid, that doesn't look any gender. There are Mm. some people who have surgery and have their nipples removed. Mm. Um, There are people who have all different kinds of ways of relating um, Mm -hmm. to that part of their anatomy. Mm -hmm. And for me, I pretty much want to just revert to the me that I was before I feel like I got hijacked by this body development that I did not want. Bring back the blue corduroys, huh? Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Tough skins all the way. (laughs) Yeah. How much do you think your need to have your daughter be seen, your also your experience of watching her not be seen 
in terms of all of who she is impacted this decision? I mean, you felt that your body betrayed you. I mean, that was decades ago, but now you've said, okay, no more. Do you think those were related or were you on one journey and that's a different parenting journey? And oh no, they're, that's what I meant when I said, I think that they're, it's a parallel process. I, 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 you know, I credit my kid with saving my life once already hmm. um, and because I was in a relationship with her other parent that was um, really unsafe for me. Hmm. And I wouldn't do for myself what I knew I must hmm. do because of my kid. And so I, I, I think the truth is that a gift to me of parenting my child is over and over again, realizing that if what I want for her mm. is authenticity um, and self-knowledge and safety and confidence and whatever, mm -hmm. then I better freaking be modeling that mm. and making myself small and silent and tolerating behavior towards me that I wouldn't want her to tolerate is no way to teach her anything. And right. so the best way that I know how to help her realize that being who she is completely and authentically is, should be her goal. Yeah. And then we figure it out, right? Like then we figure it out. Right. right. Then we do, you know, every life hack that we need to do. Yeah. And, but I can't do that hmm. if what I'm doing is not taking care of myself right. and not being authentic and not living in a way that is fully aligned, so to speak. <laughs> We've talked about how you've been seen, how you've wanted to be seen, now your own seeing in terms of your daughter. When you look at you, who do you see? Right now I see someone very tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a hard one, Orlando. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I was just listening to one of Gish Jen's novels and such an amazing, amazing, amazing writer. And one of the one of the characters in the novel talks about being a part of a web of significance. Hmm. Belonging, how you belong, belonging in a web of significance, as opposed to biological family or whatever. And I guess what I would say is that I see myself as a part of certain webs of different webs of significance mm. that are meaningful to me. Mm. And also that I don't think I have to be afraid mm. that if I am aligned with myself and authentic, that I will fall out mm. of those webs significance yeah. yeah um and you know i mean look there's some basic things that have never changed right like mm. i'm an arab american you know wannabe 
cowboy from the tri-state area mm-hmm. um you know who likes mint chip ice cream and right. baseball and you know karaoke and the bgs i mean i like i i just think i've spent so much of my life compartmentalizing and and trying to deal with gender mm. that if i could just be done with that piece mm. mm-hmm. um that maybe i could be more at ease and be focused on all the rest of that stuff got it got it well i thank you for being here i thank you for for uh sharing this story and uh when I when I look at you, I, I really see a uh, just a champion of love. Like I just see you spreading love in all sorts of directions, and intentionally so, in directions where you don't see it flowing in the way you think it should be flowing. And um, that's been that's been a real inspiration to me. It's made me feel all the closer to you. It's made me value our friendship all the more. And so, um, yeah, you've helped me to, uh, you've helped me to not understand, but accept a whole reality that I wasn't actively not accepting, but that I just hadn't really had an up close and personal conversation about ever. And uh, I appreciate your honesty and your patience, and I appreciate your friendship, and I thank you. Well, I mean, I, I, I think I, I told you this at some point, but one of the things that I value so much about our friendship is that, for better or for worse, I'm someone who tends to think best by talking. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes and, two of us. And so, one thing that I really value about our friendship is. Every time we talk, I mm. feel like I've gotten smarter. I've figured some things out. There's creativity. It just, so I am always in alignment when I speak with you. Oh, I love that. Um, and that is a really big deal for, for me. And, um, and I think it's one of the reasons why the podcast works the way that it works because mm. I think that you bring that to every conversation that you have. Oh, wow. And I, I appreciate love you. That. I love you. I love you. So thanks for being here. Take care now. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. I hope you got as much out of listening to Cam as I got out of talking to them. It's inspiring to watch someone take a step toward who they really are. Speaking of which, here's your walk the line. Do you. The first and primary goal of Unstuck AF is to help you do you better. I bet there's something you've put aside, some part of yourself you've pushed aside. Maybe it's a hobby you allow the rest of your life to squeeze out of your life. Maybe it's a part of your personality you've buried deep in the name of being regular. I don't know what it is, but you do, so do you. Clear space on your calendar for that activity you love. Think of one way you could put that irregular characteristic to work, and maybe even on display. Because people, organizations, society, they will keep you in a tutu when you know you belong in chaps. Go put those chaps on and put that picture on full display. 
Just don't call yourself Tombo when you do it because Cam would be the first to tell you that is a mess. <laughs> Until next time, you can join the conversation on the Align Performance Facebook page and follow at AlignP on Twitter. And if you like what you just heard, be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts. And together, we gonna get unstuck. We gonna be unstuck we gonna live unstuck unstuck as fuck now let's walk the line